Hello and welcome to the SDC Fit Learning Podcast. I'll be your host today. My name's Ben Scott. I'll be joined by Jason Galea. Thanks for joining us on our way to create 1 million positive outcomes for personal training clients by 2030. The podcast is brought to you by at STC Fit Learning, a page created to upskill and educate PTs and gym nerds. Also brought to you by at STC Fit, and that's a place for all your online and in-person personal training needs. If you enjoyed today's episodes, please give us a share and tag on the Instawebs. You can tag at STC Fit, at STC Fit Learning, at Ben Scott SC, and at Jason Galea PC. Hope you enjoy the show. Alrighty, welcome everyone. We have, I was thinking about before, you are our first return guest. Um, Shannon Beer from Flex Success. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so I think it's been like maybe seven months since we had you on last. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I like kind of feel like I'm talking to a celebrity this time around. <laughs> it's the success of the book. Yeah, no, we're really pleased with how that went. That went really well. Yeah, so Life After Dieting is called, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what was kind of, um, I'll have to be honest and say I haven't read it yet but I have read lots of the excerpts over social media. So um, what's the kind of overview? What's the goal of the Life After Dieting book? Yeah, so we, the, the purpose of Life After Dieting was kind of to fill what we perceive to be a gap within the fitness industry. Like a lot of people are happy to get their clients results, um, but most we found that a lot of people didn't know how to maintain their results. And that's kind of the whole point, right? You want to you know, get in shape, lose fat, build muscle, and you want to stay that way. So life after dieting was designed for people who um, had been tracking macros in the past and wanted to transition away from macro tracking and still maintain the results they've achieved and even make further progress from there onwards. So we found that a lot of people, once they got comfortable with tracking, got a bit too comfortable and didn't know how to let go. And it's kind of getting in the way of them living the rest of their life um, so yeah that's kind of what the book was all about just helping people move away from that mindset and maintain the results like what habits are really important for maintenance yeah yeah i love it that's really cool so you're like on a book tour now just continuing to <laughs> travel around the world yeah yeah pretty much <laughs> um so fill us in since so we were on the gold coast when we recorded the last one um you're in melbourne right now and we still have managed to have to do this on zoom because of our schedules. Um, but yeah, like where have you been? What's been going on in that time? Um, where have I been? So seven months, damn. Been a few places. I think the main one jumps to mind, been to Japan, been to Vietnam, been back home, spent a couple of months in America. So that was New Orleans, Florida a couple of times, Denver, New York, um, back to Australia and about to leave to go to Taipei, hopefully, Amsterdam, <laughs> Dublin, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, London, Madrid, so yeah, kind of all over the place. Yeah, awesome. So have you have you established like where your favorite place in the world is yet? Oh, it like depends. how far can you narrow that down? Yeah, well, I obviously really like Australia. Um, Good answer. Far better weather <laughs> and better coffee. So yeah, happy anywhere in Australia that I've been so far. Um, yeah, I'd say if I'm going to settle down somewhere, Australia. Uh, I do like Bali just for an easy place to go that's fairly cheap. You know, it's pretty nice. Yeah. But yeah, I just everywhere is super different. Japan was really cool. Yeah, yeah. Japan's kinda on my list, but it's it's one of those weird ones where I feel like it could really go either way. If you'd either really like it or just not enjoy it at all. 
Yeah, it depends. I, I feel like there's nothing not to like. Super yeah. safe, food's really good. It's just, a, well, depending where you go, that, you know, that's the thing as well. Japan's so different. You could do everything there. Um, but Tokyo was the one for me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So the main question we need to answer, um, and hopefully Dean tunes in for this one, so I'm going to put the pressure <laughs> on. Is coffee better in Melbourne or on the Gold Coast? Oh, that is tough. Well, if you're a real coffee snob, you get a delivery. So it doesn't really matter where you are. <laughs> <laughs> but um, if you're in Melbourne, I'd say there's probably more options in Melbourne being a city. So mm -hmm. if I had to choose, then I would say Melbourne. Yeah. All right. It's very narrow press. And you sort of Good answer. Again. So Australia and Melbourne. There you go. Happy days. Um, <laughs> except our weather sucks. That's why we have better coffee because we have nothing to do. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, all right. So... I guess we'll move into what's kind of coming up for you and I guess the, the content for today. Um, so I understand you've kind of got some work lined up, lined up with Gabby Fondaro from RP. Uh, yeah, we're um, working on a series of articles at the moment, mostly addressing intuitive eating and weight neutral approaches and what we can take away from those approaches as practitioners who are working with people you know, who, who do want to lose weight. So can we take any of those principles into account? Um, and when is a weight neutral approach a viable option? And when is the traditional approach that, you know, most people use like macro tracking and self-monitoring, when should that apply? That's kind of what we want to address because a lot of misconceptions around, you know, what intuitive eating is, whether weight neutral approaches can even work. Um, and yeah, we thought it was a very important topic to kind of address. So just working on a few articles about that. Awesome. It's one of those things, hey, where like, I think last time we spoke, we kind of touched on it and it was super loud at the time. Everything mm -hmm. on social media, everyone was talking about this intuitive eating thing. Um, they kind of went quiet for a bit. I think game changers came out and everyone just wanted to <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> um, but it seems like that conversation's still kind of rolling. Um, and obviously yourself and all the guys at Flex are kind of looking more into like, um, differences between weight loss and maintenance and like achieving an outcome versus sustaining an outcome and all that. That seems to be the dialogue that I'm picking up from you guys, which is really cool just to investigate. You guys seem really kind of diving down a rabbit hole of human behavior and habits and that type of stuff, which I think for the most part is a stone that's unturned a lot in the fitness industry. Um, a lot of us and probably us included on this podcast, a lot of the time like to talk about um, sets and reps and technique and, how we're managing programming and all that sort of stuff and kind of diving into mindset and coaching and all that type of stuff that maybe not um, more from a coaching relationship and less from a actual, I guess, more researched standpoint where you're looking into, okay, so what are we actually seeing? What are the trends and how does that actually apply into our industry, which I think is really cool. Mm. Um, so maybe to kick it off for those that maybe haven't listened to the first um, episode we did back in July, maybe just defining what intuitive eating is um, for everybody. Yeah. So I think the best way to conceptualize intuitive eating is to think of it as a self 
care framework. So it's interesting that you said that it's been picked up on more so in recent years because it was actually a, an intervention that was established way back in 1995. And we're just kind of hearing far more about it now. Um, and it's an intervention that is a weight neutral approach to eating that was specifically designed to break the cycle of chronic dieting. So weight neutral approaches are often kind of geared towards improving relationship with food, like removing moral judgments around food. So looking at foods in terms of good or bad. And, you know, if you eat a bad food then you're a bad person, um, so it's about building awareness of your hunger and fullness cues and emphasizing like physical and emotional well-being rather than making weight loss the primary focus of what you're trying to achieve, because, Something that these approaches highlight really well is that weight loss itself is not a behavior. You can't just, you know, engage in weight loss. The behaviors that you engage in are, you know, a healthier pattern of eating or get more physical movement. Those are the behaviors. And those are the behaviors that are actually at the forefront of these interventions. So even though weight loss isn't the focus, it could, it may or may not be an outcome. So weight neutral doesn't mean anti-weight loss, it's neutral. So it could be you know, um, weight loss or whatever, depending on where the person's starting from. But what's really important about these is, as I say, they're putting health at the forefront and it's all about improving that kind of relationship with food. And I think it's very relevant to us as practitioners when we're working with people who are trying to improve their eating habits because we often gravitate towards the use of macro tracking as our you know initial step and in reality it's not always an approach that's suitable for everyone at a given moment you know you could get that way we do take our clients through macro tracking at some stage um, but it may not be the first thing that we implement with someone so I think part of the reason that it, it's received a bit of backlash is because a lot of people think that intuitive eating itself simply means eating whatever hell you like. And that's really not the case. Um, there are 10 principles of intuitive eating and the unconditional permission to eat is just one of them. The uh, 10th principle that a lot of people don't mention is actually all about um, honoring your health with gentle nutrition. So that means making a choice that makes you feel good. So it doesn't necessarily mean eating like hyper palatable energy dense foods all the time, um, but actually getting to a stage where you can make those choices and be in tune with what your body actually needs. So, you know, vegetables obviously don't taste the best, but we need them for our health. And if all we ate was hyper palatable energy dense foods, we wouldn't feel so good. But sometimes it's just necessary for people to go through that stage to break the cycle of restriction before they can engage in these healthier behaviors. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, when you kind of pull it apart like that, it, it's, it has a ton of crossovers with the original idea that was intended from the flexible dieting yeah. idea. It's like, um, for those that don't know, from what I understand of it, the flexible dieting, well, the I, if it fits your macros kind of movement started with a few guys in a forum that just got sick of telling people the same thing. Um, that like, yes, you can swap broccoli for beans. It's not the end of the world. Or you can swap chicken for turkey um, if it fits your macros. And then that kind of became the tagline. And now we have it all over the place. Um, but the idea that like you can make decisions on what you're about to eat based on more factors than just like just weight loss um, 
or, or weight gain or whatever. Um, and I think something that kind of came to mind when you were explaining this is something I use a lot with my clients in more of like a coaching aspect is sometimes maintenance is progress mm. and understanding that making progress 52 weeks of the year isn't always possible if you have particularly, I guess, dependent on where training and nutrition and stuff sits on your um, importance hierarchy. But if you have career, maybe you've got kids, um, social lives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like shit happens over a 52 week period over a year and being able to um, have periods where you accept that kind of like, cool right now, like you said, weight loss isn't a behavior. I can keep sticking to these behaviors, even if it doesn't mean it's directly contributing to the long-term outcome right now from a weight loss standpoint, but it's giving me another factor of my health, be it social, environmental or whatever. It's contributing to that side of health for me at the moment. And I find a lot of people kind of get into the trap where as I know yourself, yourself, you're pretty the same as like really heavily assessing data and stuff like that, that a client can fall into the trap where the data must improve every single week. Um, not just the subjective markers and sometimes the subjective markers are just important, just as important. Mm. And maybe that's something like an intuitive eating response um, is a really valuable tool for someone with that kind of mindset that's looking at a year's kind of block rather than what's happening this week or day. Yeah. Well, one important distinction is that intuitive eating isn't the same as eating intuitively. So this is where it kind of gets confusion, uh, confusing. The intuitive eating approach is a specific intervention. That's different to simply not tracking macros. So what we like to talk about at Flex, because um, as you mentioned, it, maintenance periods are extremely important and valuable as well. We like to talk about informed eating. So this is kind of what life after dieting was all about, teaching someone how to maintain their results without tracking. So that would be different to taking the intuitive eating approach, which would go through all of those 10 kind of principles. Um, but as you say, yeah, there's definitely value in having these maintenance periods and being able to read data that it's not just numbers all the time. You know, you, you can learn to understand what your body needs just from how you're feeling that's a stage it's quite difficult to get to but um it's definitely a, a skill that you could teach someone and if we're talking back at the intuitive eating approach as in the intervention itself sure you may go backwards that you may feel like you're going backwards by going through that approach by eating these foods that you felt like you couldn't eat for a long time but when you look at things, take a, a step back and look at things zoomed out, you're actually progressing over time because you're getting to a stage where you are healthier and in control of your food choices. So even though it feels like a short term, you know, out of control feeling around food, that's a necessary step for some people to go through to gain that control once again. And when it comes to non-tracking maintenance periods, you can still make progress in a number of different ways. You know, that these are it's a great time to take these periods when you've got a lot going on in your life. You know, you may have really heavy intensive workloads. You can still make good progress in the gym just from maintaining weight. You know, that doesn't mean that you can't be focusing on your performance in the gym. Um, and all of these kind of things that are also important if you've got a lot of life, like general life stuff happening. You just think, you know what, I'm just going to 
put my fitness pal down because I'm pretty sure I'm capable of maintaining my results over this time. Um, that's a skill that I would consider as, as a sign of progress because using my fitness pal is all well and good, but if, it's, if the tool becomes a crutch, then you're not really learning anything. Yeah, I think, I think that's really important is that um, when was it? I feel like it was um, maybe Easter last year, my fitness pal crashed at the server. <laughs> um, at least in Australia, if not <clears throat> kind of everywhere. And we had a couple of people like post or share stories or whatever. And we were kind of like, whoa, like one day and you can't just not pick up the app and still survive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of like, okay, so use it as a, and I guess this is more um, eating intuitively rather than intuitive eating, but just like, can you actually just kind of go through a day and hit roughly what you need to hit? Um, Or are you just a robot that's putting things into an app all the time? Um, And I think this like intuitive eating idea gives an alternative to every time you go somewhere, having to put something into an app, which I guess if you have um, very specific long-term outcomes, and this is something that I'll fire back to you is like, what population is it suitable for? Like if you're trying to really drive, be a performance physique outcomes, um, something like that, like you're a hyperactive individual, would you still say that there's value in this type of method? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think there has been a bit of debate recently about whether, you know, intuitive eating is appropriate for athletes. And I think it's, you've got to be more specific with the question because athletes, that's a pretty broad term, right? You're like, who are we talking about? We've got bodybuilders or um, strength athletes, like powerlifters or endurance athletes or weight class athletes. Like these are, it's a vast, you know, spectrum of different kinds of people I'm just really um, flattered that you put me in the class of an athlete oh <laughs> <laughs> well, you are powerlifter not a bodybuilder so yeah yeah, yeah. we can't call bodybuilders athletes <laughs> um so what i would kind of look at it as as what does this individual that i'm working with need right now and what does that mean for their goals like you know athletic pursuit would come under that so an intuitive eating approach as I mentioned, it's designed for those people who need to break the cycle of chronic dieting. And what you'll find with many athletes, actually, especially in weight class sports, is that a lot of them do make decisions based on what to eat. Um, But the primary reason for the decisions that they're making is to regulate their body weight. And I don't necessarily think that automatically leads to disordered eating behaviors in everyone but it certainly is a risk factor and i say especially for people who are performing in like uh, weight specific sports so i think this kind of approach would be a useful intervention for any time that you kind of recognize that someone is heading down that path and developing kind of pathological tendencies but i will note that if you're going to if you want to learn more about the intuitive eating approach, you need to go to someone who is specifically trained in intuitive eating to take you through that. So our role as practitioners is more so to firstly understand what intuitive eating is, what its role is and who it's appropriate for, not so that we can 
you know, try and implement that approach necessarily, but to send, to refer, know when to refer out and who to refer out to. Um, but a non-tracking approach to eating, I think is something that we can definitely teach our clients, you know, how not to rely on my fitness pal. And there are like a number of times where this may be suitable for different athletes. So take like the bodybuilding population. We also know that disordered eating tendencies are pretty rife especially in the post-competition period. So that may be an important time if you're working with an athlete to encourage them to kind of take a step back from my fitness pal and just not focusing on their body and remaining, you know, super lean because that is a common tendency for people in the post-competition period is that they want to cling on to those stage shreds. And we know that's not a healthy thing to try and achieve. Um, so there are ways as well that you can be more flexible in your approach, even through tracking macros. So things such as encouraging macro ranges rather than specific numbers. I think most of us are doing that already, but you still get the odd person, you know, stressing that their, their fats are a little high and their carbs are a little low, even if their protein's in the right place and, and all the rest of it. Um, <clears throat> so we can definitely do that. We can do things like implement non-tracking weeks so that you can still have like one week on, one week off or a few weeks on, one week off of tracking, not to change anything about the, the approach that you're doing, that you can still follow roughly the same kind of pattern of eating, um, but just to take the food diary away to kind of always test yourself. I think the main thing to ask is, does the thought of not tracking your food make you anxious? If the answer is yes, then it's probably a good sign that you need to have a go at, at not doing it, you know, practice a non-tracking approach to eating. Um, because there's nothing inherently wrong with macro tracking, but it's definitely something that can easily get taken too far. Like anything, right? It's, there's always like a dark side to every great tool that we have um, when it's either incorrectly applied or uh, taken to the extremes. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely kind of agree there. Um, I think what I, what's interesting is the sports, not that I work with a ton of out, um, athletes outside of kind of bodybuilding and powerlifting, but because they are a gym environment based sport that seems to attract a lot of people that kind of go to the gym initially to get fit tone up or get healthy or lose some weight or whatever. And then they kind of fall in love with it. And then that evolves into a sport. And then all of a sudden we have, sweet you need to track your macros really finitely to get down to really low levels of body fat um or you need to track to make sure you hit your weight class in powerlifting like it there's kind of a demand for that at times um but the people that have gone through maybe a weight loss journey or something in the beginning seem just anecdotally to be have a bit of a predisposition to be more stressed even in off season and stuff about weight, body fat percentage, all of that type of stuff. Cause their initial intent from walking through the door of the gym was how they looked. Mm. Whereas like your field sport athlete, like I've haven't had many footballers come up to me and say, I don't want to eat cause I'll, I won't look good. It's like, can I be better at football on the weekend? <laughs> yes. Sweet. And I'll do what I need to do. Um, seems to be a slightly, and like, to be fair, there's bodybuilders and powerlifters in that camp as well. I'm not, um, blanketing it over all of them, but, and I'm sure there's footballers that think the opposite, but it seems, seems to be a tendency around where you've come from to get into the sport. That's kind of 
uh, that plays a role in that. Yeah, and, and certain individuals are definitely more susceptible to these kind of pathological behaviours than others. That's one thing that's 100% true. I think the role of the practitioner in that sense then is just to be mindful. And I think the important thing, like the, one of the main things that we want to get like, across with like these articles and what we're trying to achieve here is the fact that macro tracking, as I say, is a viable tool, but is it your go-to because that's what you always do and you know that's how you work or are you applying it because it's suitable for the person right i think it's just useful to not be too reliant on one thing and just be using it just because and actually be thinking about what it is that the person needs and how they respond so for example everyone kind of says when it comes to weight loss that self-monitoring is really important like we've seen associations between long-term like success and people who self-monitor but actually that association isn't quite clear that like, we don't really know what it is about self-monitoring um we've got you know hypotheses and stuff but it actually doesn't work for everyone and what we do know is that the interpretation of that data is really important so even when it comes to using these tools like the way that we use them and the why behind them is super important that can actually impact long-term success so when it comes to self-monitoring you can either view well the thing is when it comes to fat loss there's probably going to be some point in your um progression that you notice you know a variable a data um point that isn't favorable so maybe like a weight increase or your weight didn't go down as much at some point that's pretty much bound to happen so what do you do how do you respond and interpret that data do you look at it as a sign that you're failing you know you haven't done your job you're not adherent um, or do you view it as a chance to kind of learn more about your behavior so okay i, I noticed that my weight's increased on average this week did I um, kind of follow what I set out to do? So, oh, actually, I can see that I've overeaten on a few days. That's probably why my weight's increased. And if I want to continue making progress, I better dial that in. Here's my action plan for how I'm going to prevent this from happening again this week. You know, that's a kind of productive way of, of viewing it. But some people don't come at it rationally like that. And I think that's very easy to forget because a lot of us, uh, coaches are that way inclined like we do like numbers we can be like oh okay i can see exactly what's going on i know precisely what to manipulate whereas others uh, that we're working with uh, could be far more emotional and be interpreting that as i say as a moral failing and those are the people that are less likely to be successful long term because they haven't learned how to interpret things like this and spin it around into something that's more um positive so this is something that we do need to teach people how to be or the best way to interpret the data and the reasons behind the tracking and the monitoring so it's not to you know hit your macros it the point of macros is to make beneficial food choices and that's the primary purpose and to control your calorie intake but it's not just to arbitrarily hit macros and see what fits you know and i think that's kind of the the distinction there so maybe just to paint a clearer picture um what would like a day in the life of an intuitive eater look like when it comes to meals and all that type of stuff? Like how are you approaching doing that? So are we distinguishing between like an intuitive eater or an informed eater? So someone who's going through the intuitive eating intervention or someone who's just simply not tracking and maintaining their weight? Yeah, let's, let's have a look at the interve intervention and then maybe compare the differences to like an informed 
idea. Yeah. Well, if someone needs the intuitive eating intervention, then I would refer them out to someone who is you know, trained in the intuitive eating approach. So I say, if I notice someone who, the difference is that it's, it's going to come down to whether or not weight loss is a viable, like, a reasonable thing to focus on at this given point for this individual. So if someone's been going through years and years of chronic dieting and restriction, then they probably need to go through the intuitive eating approach first before they're in a position to then, you know, further manipulate body composition and things like that. Um, so if that's someone, then I would refer them out. But if you've got someone who really desperately wants to lose weight, so that is one thing that I will say that I think a lot of people struggle with the unconditional permission to eat side of things and letting go of weight loss as the focus. And when we've got people coming to us saying we want to lose weight, like how can we do this in you know, our job is to think about how we can do this in the healthiest way possible. So if you've got someone like that, um I think education is pretty important. So knowing that there are no such thing as good or bad foods. So we can, whatever approach to um, our diet we take, you know, whether that's macro tracking or whatever, I think that's a fundamental principle that we can all abide by, like encouraging people to realize that we get away from that kind of black and white style of thinking. But for someone who's taken an informed approach, they would have spent some time tracking their macros, whether it's in the past or with us as coaches, and would implement something like that at a time where, we deem it's necessary. So either if I notice that someone's getting a bit too caught up in the numbers, I'll say, right, I think this week would be a great time to practice what we've learned so far and work on our informed eating skills. We're not going to track for this week. I just want you to rely on your foundational habits. So something that we teach our clients is um, the foundation diet phase. So this is just about reaching your um, protein intake or and having um, plants with every meal. So those are kind of like the basics of your diet and then adding in carbohydrates to suit your current, you know, like calorie requirements. That's something that we teach, take everyone through. So we'd refer back to that because the thing is with informed eating is that you don't necessarily change anything about your eating habits. You've still got the foundations in place. You're just not relying so much on the numbers to guide your decision on what to eat. Instead, you're relying on your internal hunger and signal, uh, hunger and fullness signals. You're also choosing foods based on what you need and what you want. You know, like it's okay to choose foods that are satisfying. So you don't always eat out of hunger, especially if your goal is maintenance. You know, there's far more to food than just fuel. Um, obviously, certainly is a, a very important thing, but um, there's way more to it, like going out to eat. So if someone's got a lot of social occasions coming up, that may be a good idea just to go ahead and make mindful choices. Um, so these are all kind of times where it may be appropriate not to track. Or as I say, if you're, you've got an, you're in an off season, you haven't got any immediate goals and requirements, then it's a good idea to kind of implement these strategies then. Yeah, cool. So where would you say, um, so we quite often use the precision nutrition, their hand plan, which is essentially just portion sizes, right? Mm -hmm. So you're using your hand to compare um, essentially macronutrients on a plate. Um, and timing those out over a day. So where does that thing, where do you think that fits in kind of this scale of, you're not tracking, but you're kind of tracking and at least measuring consciously versus an informed idea where you kind of just, is it the same thing or is it a little bit different? Yeah. So I think 
when you are practicing informed eating, you know, you may not be eating the exact same calories and macros every single day. Like, in fact, you probably won't be. There may be days where you're a bit hungrier or days where you're not as hungry. Um, so the exact quantities that you're having day to day may vary. And it's more about, as I say, listening to those hunger and fullness cues. So you can use your current diet, you know, what you would eat when you're tracking macros as a reference point. So if you know that you usually have, um, say, a serving of rice and a bit of chicken and some veg for one meal then you can continue using those same reference points you know you don't have to necessarily change anything it's just about not micromanaging everything because if you have a portion that's slightly larger than what you usually eat chances are you won't be as hungry for your next meal and you'll probably compensate accordingly so we don't necessarily have to aim for the exact same portions in every single meal because these kind of things average out over time anyway so i think that's one of the key things is just like the mindset behind it you're not trying to hypermanage everything um, and you're just going to let things average out as they will because if you're following the foundation diet and mainly consuming you know satiating foods and a variety of micronutrients you're getting your fiber in then your hunger is probably going to be doing a pretty good job of regulating itself you know um, and we would have taken someone through all of the kind of ways to modify your external environment but this is almost more so about the internal environment so knowing um when it's okay to eat like you know what what do i want right now i'm not trying to manipulate my body weight necessarily so I'm just going to eat based on what makes you feel good and what I kind of want right now, which would be a variety of things, not just like I say, hyper palatable energy dense foods. So moving into, um, so we're talking there generally, like it's going to even out over time and it's probably going to be quite easy to maintain weight. Mm -hmm. um, if you're newer to training, then I would probably expect there's going to be some recomp going on there. Um, just from like performance increase, build a little bit of lean tissue, probably get a little bit leaner over time. Someone who's maybe been doing it a little bit longer. Um, have you seen success in like an informed eating approach for fat loss or um, we'll start with fat loss? Yeah, for sure. Because um, we implement the informed eating approach after a period of macro tracking. So the individual have a good awareness of the energy density of certain foods, you know, because sometimes people will come to us saying, I eat really healthy, um, but I don't know why I'm losing weight. And it's like, because you're still eating too many calories, like regardless of where they come from. So once people go through the macro tracking stage, it can actually be quite eye-opening. They didn't realize that, you know, oil was so energy dense. Um, or that you know, majority of fats are energy dense, or what even is a source of fats, what's a good source of protein. Once someone's learned all of that and they've got the habits in place, then you can, as I say, still learn how to eat in a deficit without tracking. You know that it's probably a good idea to reduce your frequency of snacking because you've realized that snacks are quite energy dense and also not particularly filling. Um, and maybe you're eating them whilst you're distracted or whatever. So once someone's learned the nutritional profile of the foods that they're eating alongside environment modification, alongside mindful eating. So actually paying attention to what you're eating um, and knowing not to satisfy like your emotional needs with food. That's one of the big ones. Once you've done all of that, you're pretty good to go at just continuing to make those food choices without tracking because 
you've eaten it, whether it's in my fitness power or not. You know, you don't need to double check that you're under your calorie target for the day because you know that these foods are low in energy density. So it's really, it's certainly possible to continue to lose fat on this approach if you're taking the informed eating approach. Um, or to, I'd say it's to, you can definitely lose fat without tracking macros. Um, but as I say, the, the approach that we use it for is mainly for maintenance, just because the whole idea is not to be attempting to regulate your body weight and letting it kind of fall where it may, you know? And yeah. I think people are, are scared of that idea. They think, well, if I don't track my macros, I'm going to gain weight. Mm. But, you know, if you're, if you're not changing your food, then nothing changes regardless of whether you track or not. Yeah, I think um, one of the interesting things that you've kind of brought up is the hunger signaling. Mm -hmm. Um, So working with primarily, I I describe them as athletic population. So like if you're going to define athletes as people that that compete, um, most of my clientele are athletic population. So they train at least four times a week. They're quite active, usually in pretty um, decent strength ranges, pretty good body fat ranges. So I find with them, um, particularly initially, um, because we're typically going to increase, for most people, increase protein intake um, and quite often increase food volume, at least, if not energy. Um, So the hunger signaling thing for them seems to be really challenging and can be challenging for quite a long period of time. Like if they miss one meal, it's like, oh, Jesus. Um, trying to fit in enough food to to hit the macros becomes very challenging. So is there any way, um, and it's obviously the same for fat loss, like those first two weeks when you drop into a deficit, you're always super hungry. Um, And then usually I find people will just kind of like adjust their diet to create a better environment to not feel as hungry over time, or they just get a little bit used to it as well. Um, So it's less of a big deal. But there's a lot of the time it's like, yeah, you're kind of going to be hungry because you're in a deficit. You're not used to it. Um, how would you manage those, that polar end of like, you're going to be hungry if you're in a deficit. You're probably going to be really full for some people at maintenance, if not in a surplus. Um, how would you manage that in an informed eating environment? Is it just mm-hmm. as simple as just keep doing what you were doing while you were tracking and then just keep an eye on the data? And if the data's not headed in the direction you would like maybe adjusted the following week mm-hmm. oh i'll start with the hunger side of things so again you're probably going to get slightly hungry in a deficit regardless of whether you track or not um but in in terms of managing that that's when it is important to pay attention to the food choices that you're making you know so if you notice that you're feeling hunger um are there swaps again you can make a lower calorie swap without tracking calories so if you're drinking your calories and having a milky coffee but you're getting hungry throughout the day then you could think to yourself oh you know what i know that if i swap this milky coffee out for a long black or a filter then i'm saving calories um regardless of whether they're being tracked and that may help you manage um hunger like by making these swaps or in finding ways to reduce calories somewhere so that you can increase portion sizes of lower um, energy density foods so you could have um if you're eating pasta then you think oh you know what i know that it's probably a good idea to swap to potatoes that would keep you fuller if you're having fattier cuts of meat then you may swap to uh, a, a leaner source of protein to save some calories there so that you can you know allocate those calories for something else so you might swap your 
um, fatty like beef mints for the five star extra lean beef mints. So you're getting the same volume of food in, but you know that you're reducing your calorie intake and then those calories can go towards um, a side of rice or something with that beef mint so that you've kind of eaten the same amount in one meal, but you've got more food on the plate. So there are ways like that to manage your hunger without tracking. And then also, I think once you've had a good idea of what it is like to track in an energy deficit, you know whether you're under eating like too much or not, you know, like that you've got your reference points in place. Yeah. So I think that can be really useful when it comes to someone who's trying to eat more, like to make sure that they've got enough calories in to fuel their performance. Then I don't think there's anything wrong with tracking your macros. Like that's probably a very good idea or something when it would be a very appropriate to track macros. I think the only time where you know, you may not want to is if you you're finding yourself increasingly preoccupied by food, it's getting to that stage where all you can think about is macros, you know, like, what am I going to fill my macros within today? Um, or worrying about eating out those are like the only times when I'd say, well, perhaps we should take a step back. But for most people, they are perfectly, or a lot of people are okay to continue tracking, you know, so there is no wrong or right here. It's just about what's more appropriate at any given point for a specific person. If you had someone who had these performance goals, but they're also finding themselves uh, increasingly preoccupied by food and numbers, then perhaps it would be a good idea to implement a non-tracking week with them just to take a step back and to remember how to kind of make food choices based on internal data um, rather than external and that wouldn't impact their performance long term because you're just taking a week out to you know kind of reset yourself almost and then from the week after you should be in a better position to go ahead and track again um now that you're you know, you're, you're less kind of reliant on it and less anxious about it so i think it's just about working in stages and figuring out what it what's important for someone at any given you know point in time as i say there's some people absolutely love tracking the numbers you know like a lot of people don't have any issues with it so there's no need to just go you know changing your approach just for the sake of it but i think when someone finds that they are struggling a little bit just knowing that there are other approaches out there that they may want to take and especially for kind of long-term maintenance it's really a good idea to have the ability to do both you know yeah i think where we've kind of gone with this conversation, I, I feel like as a, as a coach um, or, or practitioner or whoever that's kind of involved in this process, giving advice to somebody else on it is make sure you're not trapped in one strategy. Like don't only rely on giving portion sizes that it has to be this, 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 and this four times a day. And don't rely on, oh, I'll just give you your macros and you write a meal plan and, or, or whatever and follow your, my fitness pal and you'll get results. Um, understanding that <clears throat> there's, even within an individual, it's going to be nuanced and evolve over time. And what a person needs right now is maybe different in a week, a month, six months. And being mm. able to kind of navigate that space via... I think the empowerment of education is shining through here as being really, really valuable. Like being able to like, cool, give your client a list of um, proteins and a list of carbohydrates and a list of fats and send them on their way to hit their macros. But 
the weekly communication around like, okay, so you did hit your averages or you didn't hit your averages. I, I went over one day, cool. Did you balance it out? Like carbs and fats, I, I'm struggling to, to balance those ratios correctly. That's fine. They're interchangeable. Like just having people understand these, because I think the, the fundamentals of nutrition are still adhered to in every application that we've talked about mm-hmm. today. Like mm-hmm. it's still energy balance. It's still macronutrient manipulation or even in a less deliberate way, it's still kind of managing those things still leaning towards probably decent food quality. Like you said, like the first thing is try and eat something um, fruit or vegetables with every meal. Like those fundamentals don't change. It's just the strategy in which that you're applying will evolve over time. And then for a client um, or for somebody who's maybe attempting to do it themselves or anything like that, I think being, being aware of what's actually going on and what your own um, relationship with your current strategy is and how tied to that strategy you are. Um, like you said, if, if you can't, if my fitness pal shuts down tomorrow for two days and you're going to have an anxiety attack, maybe consider that as maybe not being very healthy. Um, Cause most people that are tracking macros or at least if they've been around for a long time, it started out as like a, it was almost a rebellion against clean eating. Yeah. Like clean eating, stupid. We're going to like flexible diet. It's like, yeah, well, how flexible is it if you lose your mind, if you can't track for two days? <laughs> That's exactly it. And what we're seeing now is that the relationship between flexible dietary control and rigid control is actually nuanced. Um, yeah. You could be promoting rigid dietary strategies unintentionally through our promotion of flexible dietary control. So, you know, you think you're helping someone by giving them macros, but if they're viewing that as strict targets to aim for, then it's definitely not flexible at all. So it can very easily go either way, which is just why it's important that we frame things in the correct way so that someone can interpret, you know, what they're doing appropriately. Yeah. So would you have maybe some tips for someone to be able to identify when it might be a time to, rethink their current strategy from a, a mindfulness standpoint yeah like i said the first thing that i'll probably ask myself is am i anxious at the thought of not tracking like you know you may say oh yeah i'd rather not track but um i'd rather track but not tracking you know doesn't really bother me then that's fine like you're probably okay but if you're someone who thinks yeah actually i wouldn't know what i'd do if my fitness pal broke again like what you know that's probably a good time to at least implement some of these strategies to build that trust with yourself to know that you are able to you know rely on your internal um hunger and fullness cues and then also again if someone's coming from a background of chronic dieting and they they haven't got that trust in themselves and they're they're scared about you know what certain foods will do to them and weight control is at the the front of everything for them then potentially the intuitive eating intervention would be appropriate for that individual first so they can focus on healthful behaviors and get to a place where they are in control of their food choices before attempting to manipulate their body composition um so i think that's kind of the, the primary difference if you're someone who has gone through both before like you know how to track and you know also the pretty comfortable with not tracking then i would just do whatever approach you're happiest with you know at the given moment depending on what your goals are yeah that's that's really powerful and that's that's all i would add is just like be really honest and upfront with your coach as well um mm, yeah no... like if something's going too much and you don't want to focus on you know if 
you really don't want to focus on tracking for one week because you've got a super busy week. Bring that up with your coach because if they're a good coach, they will have more than one tool under their belt, you know? Yeah, 100%. I think that, yeah, there's no like award for telling the, not lies, but maybe just like fibbing a little bit that yes, I'm following the plan, but I'm maybe not because I'm actually pulling my hair out because the plan is too much for me right now. Um, Cause it, again, if you have a good coach they're they're how you are is probably in their best interest um, because how you, how you are on a week to week basis on a day to day basis, mentally and emotionally, if their job is to get an outcome, that's probably the, the most important thing that's going to contribute to the outcome is how you are um, in that space as well as program macros, etc. Like you have to take mm. care of that first or the rest of it's like just sexy stuff on paper. It doesn't, <laughs> it's not going to really work if the person's not on board with it. So yeah, definitely really powerful to go through that thought process and then communicate it with whoever you're working with. Um, so I think that's probably a good time to maybe wrap it up. Um, I think really valuable, hopefully for a lot of people to just revisit, um, macros has become so popular. Um, and there's definitely a lot of people out there that only have one tool in the toolbox. Um, mm. so being able to kind of go out that a little bit, read up on some different strategies. Um, so yeah, the intuitive eating, um, informed eating, considering those like non-tracking weeks and that type of stuff um i think will positively impact quite a few people so that's really cool yeah totally agree so uh where can people get hold of you your book flex team all that stuff give us your spiel yeah sure so probably the best place to find maybe on instagram and that's just at shannon beer underscore also, obviously, over on the Flex Success page, which is Flex underscore success. And if you are interested in life after dieting and want to know how you can maintain your results without having to track macros forever, then the best place to go would be to the Flex Success website, um, flexsuccess.com.au, and all the details will be on, on the website. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks very much for coming on again. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm sure it won't be the last. <laughs> thanks, Shannon. Cool. See ya. See ya.